On May the 25th of this year, George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man, was killed in Minneapolis, Minnesota by the police during an arrest where he was allegedly using a counterfeit bill. And as we all know by now, protests and social unrest has erupted in countries all over the world uh, with Black Lives Matter banners uh, being displayed because of this unjust killing of an ordinary citizen. Uh, racism, especially systemic racism, is a problem not only in the United States, but in countries all over the world and even here in Canada and even in this city. For instance, in Edmonton, black people are 4.7 times more likely to be randomly stopped by the police and indigenous people are 6.3 times more likely to be randomly stopped by the police. Indigenous women are uh, randomly stopped 9.7 times more than white women. Black people in Toronto are 20 times more likely to be shot dead by police. In Halifax, black people are six times more likely to be stopped by the police. Over 30% of inmates in prison are indigenous people, even though they only make up 5% of the population. So I am not here today to stand in judgment upon the United States. Rather, I encourage each of us to search our own hearts. Am I guilty of racism and bigotry? And neither will I be focusing on other forms of abuse, uh, injustice, or inequality in our society. Uh, due to the global conversation that is happening now over the issue of racism, I'm going to focus just on that one issue. And I don't mean to trivialize other types of inequalities, but today I will just focus on this one. Now, as a preacher of the gospel, uh, today I have a few strikes against me. Uh, first of all, I've never been the victim of racism. Uh, I have what some people would call, uh, I'm a person with white privilege. Uh, I'm older, I am white, I am male, I'm an evangelical Christian. And so some people would say that I'm probably not the best person to be addressing this issue, and that may be true. But I am called to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in preparing this sermon, um, I want to accomplish three objectives. One is I want to learn more about myself and whether I might have some unconscious racist tendencies. I think most of us would say uh, that we don't, that we would call ourselves um, colorblind and so on. But I think maybe we missed the point. And I just want to say to anybody out there, if I have uh, hurt, uh, offended, um, uh, or marginalized you through a, a comment that I have made or through an action, then I do apologize to you. Uh, I, I, I might have done that without even being aware of it. And I think that that's something that has to be addressed in our society, but also in our churches. Now, I want to increase my own sense of awareness and sensitivity of what's going on in our country as well. And I quoted to you uh, some statistics. Um, I spent time uh, just in educating myself these last few weeks, uh, talking with people um, from our own congregation about their experience 
of racism, just trying to, to learn more. I've also talked with one of our Nazarene pastors in the city, Stuart Williams, uh, who's the pastor of Skyview Community Church. Uh, he was born, raised in South Africa, and experienced um, apartheid. And so he knows what it's like uh, there, but also he's experienced it here in the city of Cal Calgary. And I'm going to be interviewing as well uh, in this service, Alex Noel, uh, a member of our church, a longtime member of our church, uh, who has himself experienced racism. And so I want to express my solidarity as an older white male with my brothers and sisters of other races and cultures who have been the victims of racism. And so today, uh, please allow me to speak and declare my support for the cause of equality and justice for all humanity, regardless of their ethnicity, their race, or the color of their skin. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about the issue of racism. And of course, racism existed in the ancient world as well and in biblical cultures. There's a passage in Ephesians chapter 2, a wonderful passage, which speaks to this issue in a kind of an indirect way. Um, it's found in Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 11. So let me just uh, turn your attention to this, and you're going to see some of the text of this scripture come up on the screen. First of all, this passage of scripture, the Apostle Paul who wrote it, is giving a vision of what the church should be and how the church needs to transcend all of these uh, cultural issues and issues of, uh, of gender, of race, and language. But this is what it says to us, that during that time, and this is found in verses 14 and 15, in which the Apostle Paul lived, there was a great divide between two different groups of people. One was the Jews, or the Hebrews, and on the other side was the Gentiles. So the way that the Jewish people uh, looked at it, the, the people uh, who called God, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob their God, the way they looked at it was, uh, we are the privileged people. Uh, we have the covenant uh, and the law that God established through Moses. And then there was just everybody else. There was the Jewish people, and there was everybody else, the Gentiles. But there was a lot of racism that existed between these two groups. And the Apostle Paul in verse 14 calls this uh, by this interesting term. He says that there was a dividing wall of hostility between the two of them this invisible wall of hostility that existed between Jews and everybody else. And this is how it describes those who were not Jewish, who perhaps wanted to know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Apostle Paul says, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. That's found in verse 11. He says you were separate, you were excluded, you were foreigners, you were without hope, and you were without God, and he says you were far away. That was the old reality. But now the Apostle Paul goes on to tell us about the new reality that was brought about through Jesus Christ. 
And we read about this a little bit later in this passage, beginning at verse 19. And he says, Now those who were far away have been brought near. And through Christ, God has made the two groups into one. He has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. He has put to death their hostility between each other. He has created in himself one new humanity out of the two. And Christ came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. That's found in verse 17. And then he says in verse 18, through him, through Christ, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Now you can see this thread of unity that works its way through this passage. And so the result is that for these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, he says, now you are no longer foreigners. You are no longer strangers. You're no longer excluded. But you are now, through Christ, fellow citizens with God's people. You are members of God's household. And you are being built together, Jews and Gentiles, together on an equal footing to become a dwelling of God on earth. That's the vision of this passage. So the question is, is how did God accomplish this? Well, I've already mentioned he did it through Christ. And in verses 13 to 17, he tells us, and this is the mystery of the gospel right here. It says in verse 13 that those who were far away were brought near by the blood of Christ. That Christ made peace between the Jews and all the rest of humanity by reconciling both of them to God through the cross where Jesus died. You see, God looked down and he saw the chasm that existed between people and existed between humanity and himself. And he knew that something had to be done. And so God took the initiative and he allowed his son, Jesus, to take all of our sins and all of our hostility and violence upon himself when Jesus died on the cross. And I think it's ironic that it took, to bring peace, it took an unjust and violent act, the crucifixion of the Son of God, to make peace. A violent act is what God used to make peace and to bring reconciliation and unity between human beings on this earth and also between us and himself. But peace and reconciliation aren't the only end game here. God's grand purpose in all of this was to, and this is found in verse 15, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. It's, it's kind of like in a marriage where it says, you know, you've got the, the man and the woman and the two shall become one. They're no longer two, but one. And that's really the vision of the church. And that the church is to be the place where all of these human distinctions 
racial distinctions, gender distinctions, socioeconomic distinctions, uh, the color of our skin, all of that, that they're all obliterated, and God is creating one people in one community. And so now, it is what it says in Galatians chapter 3.28, where it says that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, God doesn't see those distinctions. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And so how will this theology of the kingdom of God become a reality in our world? Well, I do believe that it does begin in the church with us. As Christians, that's our perspective. It has to happen with us as the body of Christ. But it also begins with the recognition Last week I said this, there's no peace without forgiveness. Well, we have to also recognize that there's no peace without justice. Our God demonstrates that there is no peace in the face of injustice, corruption, and hypocrisy. We cannot be at peace when there are people who are suffering under the tyranny of sin and injustice. And we find this in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And so in order to establish a genuine peace, not a false peace, God himself enters into these conflicts because it's unacceptable for us to be at ease in Zion. That's Amos chapter 6, verse 1. When injustice, corruption, oppression, inequality, and hypocrisy rule the day. And when innocent and helpless people are being victimized. Let me quote for you just a couple of scriptures from the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 58, God condemns his people for fasting from food and drink because of all the hypocrisy and the injustice that was going on all around them. And he says, is this not the kind of fast I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. And then God says this in Amos chapter 5. And if you read the, the prophecy of Amos, uh, you'll find that uh, God is speaking to the issues that we're talking about right now of corruption, of bribery, of hypocrisy. And God says this to them because they continue to uh, make their sacrifices, and, 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 and they would worship at the temple, and so on. And God says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. He says, your assemblies, like when you come together, are a stench in my nostrils. He says, even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to your music. But then he says this in verse 24. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. God cared about justice. But God himself taught us that there is no peace without justice. I got this quote from a member of our congregation. And I've, as I mentioned earlier, I've had a lot of dialogue with people in our congregation about their experience of racism. And I'm going to read this. This person wrote me and said, Martin Luther King Jr. spoke of peace, not as the absence of tension, but 
the presence of justice. Given that definition, we should not be calling for an end to protests if no steps have been taken to address the injustices, because this is a false peace. While we do not condone violence and looting, we need to be careful not to make this a bigger focus than the injustices that are being protested. People do have a right to protest. So the systemic racism that exists in countries all over the world, including Canada, can be eliminated. And we can eliminate them in the church and through the church in Christ, through our faith in Christ, by moving towards this vision that the Apostle Paul has given us in Ephesians chapter 2. In Christ, these barriers that exist between people These distinctions, these dividing walls of hostility can be torn down and must be torn down. Violence is often, and I suppose more often than not, seems to be the pathway to achieving peace in our world. But the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, though we live in the world, We do not, we Christians, do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds and to bring every thought into obedience to Christ. And so our weapons are not like the weapons of the world. We do not use violence. One of the primary weapons we use is prayer. And I want to encourage each one of us to be very prayerful about this issue of racism in our world and the part that we might unwittingly uh, be playing in this. Through prayer, we can confess. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Would you allow the Lord to search your heart and let him show you the truth about your own character when it comes to the issue of racism? Would you be willing to confess the bigotry and racism within yourself or your own xenophobic tendencies? We should confess where we as a church have fallen short of Paul's vision of the church where all of these distinctions are obliterated and dissolved in love. We should confess the systemic racism that exists within our country, in Canada. The other thing we can do besides confess is to intercede. Pray with me that this dividing wall of hostility that exists in our world between so many different people groups will come down with a great crash, and that there will be a spirit of interracial unity. And may it begin with the church. So here are some things that we can do now, some takeaways. One is we can learn. I want to encourage you, this is homework, to read about bigotry and racism in the world. Educate yourself. Also, engage in educated and impartial forums where these issues are being addressed in a balanced way. Not, not through social media. Um, and, and not just by talking to people who already think the way you think, but 
finding people uh, who can teach you a different perspective on this. We need to also watch our words, racial slurs, racist jokes, saying things like, well, white lives matter too. That's, that doesn't work. And so I read this the other day as I was searching out uh, some answers. It says, an Asian-American student was complimented by a professor for speaking perfect English. The professor meant this as a compliment. But it was actually this Asian-American student's first language. But because of the way he looked, the professor didn't recognize that. And then there was a black man who noticed that a white woman flinched and clutched her bag as she saw him in the elevator. And then he was reminded that he was different and that he posed a threat because of the color of his skin. These are called microaggressions. And, and, and microaggressions are, are not just the ordinary insults or insensitive comments that we sometimes make to each other. But they are the kinds of remarks um, and actions that are painful because they have to do with a person's membership in a group that's discriminated against or subject to stereotypes. And so let's learn and let's educate ourselves about this issue of racism. And let's learn from the Bible and find out what God says about it. The second thing is we need to listen. James chapter 1, verse 19 says, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Let's be quick to listen. Let's not trivialize this problem of racism or give in to rationalizations or adopt a one-sided or skewed perspective on the issue. Benjamin Franklin once said, being ignorant is not so much a shame as being unwilling to learn. And so the only way not to be tone deaf in all of this is we need to listen to the cries of those who have been the victims of racism. White privilege doesn't mean that life has been easy for us and that we've never had to struggle. It just means that our skin color is not one of the things making life hard for us. It means that we don't have to go about wondering about issues of race when it comes to ourselves. And so we need to listen to people who can give us their firsthand experience of what it's like to be vict victimized because of their race or the color of their skin. And my interview with Alex Noel will hopefully give you that kind of perspective. And then the third thing that we can do, we need to learn, we need to listen, and that is we need to live a life of love. We need to show Christian hospitality, particularly to people who are different from us, people that we would consider as other. Uh, the word for Christian hospitality, the word hospitality in the New Testament, actually means kindness to strangers. It's when we go out of our way to reach out to someone across the divide, someone who might normally pose, that we might think poses a threat to us, or someone who looks different than us or talks differently than we do. So to be intentional about showing that kind of Christian hospitality. So just like the Gentiles 
in Ephesians chapter 2 that I read about earlier. There are people in our community who are excluded, who are cut off, who are disenfranchised, marginalized. Would you reach out to those? Would you be intentional about it? Instead of saying what so many people say, why don't you go back to where you came from? Mm -mm. That's not what we do. What we need to do is say, you are welcome here. There's a place for you at our table among our people. We are one people, one nation, one humanity in Christ. So let's tear down whatever walls or fences might exist between others and ourselves, even ones that we might not have been aware of. Let's become aware. Let's live a life that intersects with people who are different than we are. When we draw close to people that we perceive as strangers or as different, we do learn that they have the same humanity in us, in them, that we have in ourselves. We will see the humanity in them. And so we need to stand with those who have been victimized. I received an email this week, as I mentioned earlier, by a member of our congregation, which gave me a very rich perspective on this, and I want to quote from that email again. I think we are being presented with an incredible opportunity right now. As Christians, we should not be at the forefront. We should be at the forefront of justice issues, advocating for the oppressed and the marginalized, leading the change in this kingdom-building work. And we need to decide if we are going to rise to this challenge or if we are going to be satisfied to maintain the status quo because we don't want to make ourselves or others feel uncomfortable. We need to remember that this isn't political. Because regardless of our political affiliation, Christians should be against racism and for justice. Because there is no peace without justice. God has called us as his church to bear witness to his kingdom. To the kind of life that he intended. This kingdom life is what I read about in Ephesians chapter 2 where we are all members of one household, where no one is excluded and everyone is treated with equal respect and dignity. So let's move towards that vision that we read about in the Bible. How does God reconcile adversaries? How does he do that? By first reconciling the adversaries to himself. God takes one person and then he takes the other person. And God brings peace between them and himself. And then he brings peace between them and each other. And so what I want to do is lead us in a prayer. And if you're watching this or listening to this and you don't know this God of peace, this God who took the initiative to reach out to us and to build a bridge across this great divide in order to make peace. Uh, that bridge is the cross. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 is talking about. It's through 
Jesus' blood, his shed blood on the cross that God bridged this great gulf, this great chasm that exists in our human relationships, but also the chasm that exists between us and God. And so I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Father, I want to thank you today for this uh, uh, passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 2 that teaches us that all of these distinctions that we see in our world, you don't see those at all. That there is one path to you, and that is through Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross. You tore down the walls, the dividing wall of hostility, and you built a bridge through the cross of Jesus. And as we're praying, if you don't know this God, and if you have not made peace with God and been reconciled to him, would you do that now? Would you just say something like this? Father, I thank you that you made peace with us, and you will make peace with have made the way for me to have peace with you through Jesus. I now confess that through his shed blood on the cross, my sins are forgiven. And every offense that's ever been committed against me, I extend the same forgiveness. And so, Father, I receive Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. The one who broke down the dividing wall of hostility and made peace with you and with all those around me. Teach me to be a person of peace. To be a peacemaker. But I know, Lord, that there's no peace without justice. And so I pray, Lord, that you would use me to speak on behalf and act on behalf of those who are oppressed and victimized because of their race or because of their color. I pray, Lord, that you would use me to bring justice to those who need it. And now, Father, I pray that you would help each one of us to learn more about what it means to bring justice to those who don't have it. I pray that you would help us to listen to the stories of those and the cries of those for whom justice and equality seems like a pipe dream. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to live lives of love, of Christian hospitality, and that just as you built a bridge between us and yourself, that we would build bridges between us and all those around us, especially, Lord, to those who are different from us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.